The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. Wouldn't it be great to discover a few simple steps you could take to improve your life? Of course it would. And that's just what we'll do on this episode. We are thrilled to welcome our guest, B.J. Fogg, who's researched human behavior for over 20 years at Stanford University and is the director of the Behavior Design Lab at Stanford. He's also the author of a great new book called Tiny Habits, The Small Changes That Change Everything. B.J., thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Jan and Laura. I'm really happy to be with you. Well, we absolutely love the book, Tiny Habits, because I think we can all relate to small changes. Tell us a little bit about why it is that small changes change everything. <laughs> wow, I have about five different answers for that, but I'll just oh. start in with the simplest one. Okay. The simplest one is small changes we can make into reality. Like making a tiny change through the Tiny Habits Method, you can actually succeed at as opposed to trying something big and failing and feeling bad. And the reason, and we'll probably unpack this a little bit more later, the reason that tiny works is you don't have to rely very much on motivation. And our motivation goes up and down as human beings. And so if you think you're going to have lots of motivation to do something hard, you're kind of fooling yourself. And the tiny habits method faces that reality of being a human being. It's like our motivation will go up and down. So tiny changes can work. Whereas the big ones are really precarious. Mm-hmm. I love this whole idea and I was immediately intrigued by it. But I have to say, I was thinking about somebody who's maybe making a weight loss goal of, say, their resolution is they want to lose a hundred pounds in a year. And it seems like making just one tiny change just wouldn't get them there. What would you say to that? Well, that, that's right. But you can make a bunch of tiny changes that add up to sustainable long-term change. And that's really the best way to think about it. It's not any one thing that's going to get some, any one huge habit that gets somebody to that long-term change and keeps them there. The key is to find the right kinds of new habits that are very small and sustainable that you don't have to, you know, worry about it falling away after a while. I think we've all known people who have just used willpower and just, you know, muscled it out and they've lost weight. But then they tap out a willpower and they, they go back, and nobody likes that. And that's the tiny habits and with this approach, you don't. You find the little tiny things that you want to do, and you make them even easier, and then you wire them into your life, and then they're permanent changes. And you can combine a lot of those together and have these huge outcomes. So what would you suggest to the person who wants to lose 100 pounds over a year? What are the, the tiny changes that they might make? Yeah. Well, I would say first and foremost, um, I would look at snacking behavior. I'm just going to dive right into very, very specific. <laughs> okay. I mean, because I think for a lot of people, that's the Achilles heel. So find snacks that you like 
that are also on your eating game plan. Now, I can't say what it is for each person, but certainly vegetables and uh, you know basic foods are usually a good idea. So go out and explore and find find foods you like that are on your game plan and make those habits. Start there. Um, and then start creating other habits related to nutrition. I mean, really weight loss is a, a strongly a function of what you eat. And exercise helps, but it's really about eating. And so find ways to change what you eat. And I would start with snacking. Just do an exploration. And maybe you think like you like uh, celery, but you try it and you don't. Fine. Don't make yourself eat celery. Find what you love that's also healthy, that's on your game plan, and double down and triple down on that and just keep going. You say that a tiny habit is made up of three separate parts, the anchor, the action, and the victory dance. And I was wondering if you could explain <laughs> those a little bit more. And I was also wondering if one is more important than the rest. Oh, so good. Uh, I'll, I'll, the second question is fact answer. No, they're, they're all important. Okay. And what the tiny habits method does is it brings those three, basically you're hacking all three things with the tiny habits method. And so let's first start with what the new habit is. So let's say you want to drink more water, like you want to hydrate more. Mm -hmm, Well, in in this case, the habit isn't even drinking. It might not even be drinking a glass of water. It might just be filling the glass up and putting it on your work desk. So that's the habit. Notice how tiny and easy that is. So you, you take whatever habit you want, so focus on you want, what you want, not what you should, make it so, so easy, and then find out where it fits in your day. So what does it come after? Uh, in my own life, I have that habit, uh, and I've done that for many years. In my own life, that comes right after I put my breakfast plate by the sink, and I thank my partner. I say, thanks for breakfast, Denny. Then I go fill up water. And I put it on my work desk at home. So that's the habit. After I put my plate on the uh, kitchen counter, say, thanks, Denny. I fill up my glass and I put it on my work desk. So there's, there's the habit sequence. So wire it in. That's the third piece. Uh, it's called celebration. The way that you wire a habit into your brain is by firing off a positive emotion. So as I put the glass down, if I'm forming the habit, I want to wire it in. So I... I find a way to help myself feel positive. For some people, it's a fist bump and you go, awesome. Other people will do a little dance. Sometimes we'll do sound effects. Like as we put the glass down, they might go, do, 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 and celebrate it. So what you want to do is have a positive emotion. That's what tells your brain to wire it in. Your brain goes, what? That made me feel good. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do that more often. So you're hacking one habit by making it tiny. You're hacking what reminds you to do it for finding what comes after. In this case, it comes after I put the plate down. Then that's my reminder to fill the glass. And then you're hacking how the habit forms by causing a positive emotion inside yourself. So the three hacks that come together and work taken together, you can create habits really quickly and easily. Is it important to write down the tiny habits that you want to create? I think so. I think so. Um, I haven't, I've studied so many things related to tiny habits. I've not run a study of writing it down versus not writing it down. It would be a great one to run. I could run it really easily. But let me share a technique that um, actually my sister created. My sister helps teach tiny habits. She helps train and certify the coaches in the tiny habits method. But 
her method, and I've adopted this, is you take um, like a whiteboard marker and you write the tiny habit recipe on your bathroom mirror. So it'd be, after I put my plate by the sink, I will fill my glass of water. Or after I brush, I will floss one too. Or after I sit down on the train, I will open my book and read a paragraph. And by writing it on your bathroom mirror, you see it in the morning. And also what's nice about the whiteboard marker is it's easy to erase and revise it. And that's a huge part of the method. You, you come up with, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm doing it after. But you won't always get it right. And that's okay. You know, part of the method is revise it till you figure it out. Like, let's say you want to read more and you think, okay, I'm going to just read just a paragraph. I don't have to read a whole chapter, like make it really tiny. And then where does it come? Well, after I sit down on the train and you try it, it doesn't work very well. And you go back and say, okay, it didn't work there. Fine. Erase it off from here and say, what else can it come after? Oh, good. After I sit down on my lunch break out by this picnic table, that's when I'm going to start the new habit. So part of this method is you you design it, and if it doesn't work, you revise it. So that wording that I said, like, after I brush, I will floss one too, that phrasing we call a recipe. And one reason I chose the word recipe for it is that you can revise it. You know, so, so, so writing it down, writing it on the mirror, I think is the best way, actually. I myself, I have, like, these index cards. Uh, and people can get these online now at tinyhabits.com that have the recipe format written out, and I keep them in, it's actually literally a recipe box. So for each habit that I've worked on, I have a different card for, and I have it there in the recipe box. Not everyone <laughs> does that, but it's a nice way to go. You always hear that, or I've always heard, that it takes 21 days to create a new habit, and I know that you don't think that's the case. So I'm wondering how long no. you say it takes for new habits to become automatic. Well, it can come, it can happen very quickly. In my research on tiny habits, which dates back to 2011, more than 40,000 people have done the method. The vast majority of people report that a habit within five days has become either automatic or very automatic within five days. Wow. The, I know. But, but that's what the, that's the, when you do it in the right way, when you have that emotion attached, that positive emotion attached to the habit, it can wire in quickly. Let me talk a little bit about the 21 day thing. Mm-hmm. Um, why do, I mean, people often ask that question. I often get it. And the reason I think people ask the question is because they're under the assumption that repetition creates habits, which is not the case, but that's what they've been led to believe. Like, okay, how many days do I have to, like, force myself to go to the gym, and then magically it will be a habit? Is it 21? <laughs> is it 66? How much do I have to suffer these days? Tell me how much. And then, you know, like, magically at 21 days, it's going to be a habit. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I think there's an underlying assumption there. And what I've done, and I've not published this because it's kind of awkward for me to publish it because so many people have gotten it wrong and I don't want them to see that I'm attacking them, but I do need to set the record <laughs> straight. When you go back and look at the research that people cite on uh, like 66 days to create a habit, that's kind of the buzz right now. You go back and look at the original research and read it carefully. It's not research that shows causal effect, like this causes that. It's a correlation. So 
it correlates, it doesn't cause. And so people have got, and that's a classic mistake, you know, um, mistaking causation, you know, correlation for causation. So, uh, so we have, um, we have a project ahead of us to help people understand that it's not repetition that creates habits, it's emotion. And if you're good at firing off that positive emotion as you do the habit, you can wire it in very quickly. And even new people who do tiny habits, you know, the data shows that the majority of them wire in a habit within five days. And, you know, on the range, it's either automatic or very automatic. That's what they're reporting. You've identified three core motivators, and they each have two sides. Can you explain yeah. those? Yeah. So um, one of the things that I love to do is take really hard problems, abstract problems, and then break them down into something we can understand and talk about. And so motivation is a big abstract area. And so I broke it down years ago into three areas. You have uh, pleasure and pain. So that's two sides of the coin. It's what you're experiencing in this moment. So if you're experiencing pain in this moment, you're going to be motivated. If you're experiencing pleasure in this moment, you're going to be motivated. So it's, and, and so it's the sensation in the moment. The next category is hope and fear. So that's an anticipation of something happening in the future. Hope is the anticipation of something good happening, where fear is the anticipation of something bad or a loss happening. So that's different than pleasure and pain. Um, and hope and fear are very powerful motivators for us. And then the third category is a social category. And it has to do with the sense of I'm going to be accepted and I'm going to belong and I'm going to look cool. And then the flip side of that is I'm going to look bad and I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to be ostracized. We're very deeply wired as human beings to be social creatures. So you have those three different motivators, and I call them core motivators, each with two sides. What role do they play then in terms of our habits? Oh, so much. Um, let me give a very specific answer, and we can go further if you want. Uh, when it comes to creating new habits, which with the tiny habits is faster and easier and actually more fun than people think, one of the key things is to pick a habit that you want. Don't pick a habit that you feel like you should have. Pick mm -hmm. something that you already want to do, something you already have motivation to do. That's the winning path. What doesn't work very well is to pick a habit that you feel like you should have. So that might be one that uh, causes you some pain or something that uh, makes you feel bad or makes you it's like unpleasant. You don't like the food. No, don't do that. That's why I said earlier snacks that you love, that you like, that give you pleasure. And they're out there. You might have to explore and experiment to find those and then wire those in these habits. So in other words, you're aligning your new habits with things you're already motivated to do. And that works really well. The opposite is fraught with problems. We want you to know how glad we are to have you as part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners. You know, you may have heard us talk before about our sponsor, Ritual, and we're excited to tell you about another great product from Ritual. It's called Symbiotic Plus. It's my daily three-in-one clinically studied 
prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic designed to help support a balanced gut microbiome. We've been big fans of Ritual's essential multivitamins and essential protein products for many reasons. We really appreciate that with Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. With Ritual's Symbiotic Plus, I get two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional digestive discomforts like bloating, gas, and diarrhea. And why include a postbiotic? Well, it provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining and supports a healthy gut barrier. Symbiotic Plus comes in a delayed release capsule that's designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon, an ideal place for probiotics to grow and thrive. Symbiotic Plus comes in an all-in-one single-nested minty capsule. There's no refrigeration needed, so it's easy to take with you when you travel. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. It's time to listen to your gut. Ritual is offering our Nobody Told Me listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. All you have to do is visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. What would you say to somebody who is maybe, let's say, in mid-January and they're feeling like, well, you know, I've tried this for a couple weeks and it doesn't really seem to be sticking and they're getting discouraged. What advice would you have for them? I would say you're normal. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I would would say the reality is the way that our culture sets us up to do New Year's resolutions, it sets us up to fail. So do not blame yourself. It's not that you lacked willpower or motivation. It's just that the way that we've been told for decades how we change doesn't work very well. And there's a much better way to do it. And so I would say, don't, you're normal. It's not your fault. Don't be discouraged. And there's a really easy way to do it that, uh, doesn't take a whole bunch of motivation or willpower and, you focus on what you want, number one, and you make habits around things that you like and things you want. And the next step is you change by feeling good, not by feeling bad. And that's why the celebration thing, the, the feeling of success that you can cause inside yourself, why isn't the habit? But it also has a bigger ripple effect on your life. You learn to embrace those good feelings rather than resist them. It's so odd how many people, not just in the U.S., especially like in the U.K., right? people from the U.K. learn tiny habits, they, they're so resistant to saying good for me or I did a good job or even good feeling sometimes. And, and in some ways, that's what Tiny Habits, my book, and that program, and my hope is all about, that we can as a culture um, embrace feeling good and not, you know, let me tell you a quick story that really, really, as a researcher, just set me back. It was just, I'm just stunned. I was about four months into teaching Tiny Habits. After a year or so of doing it on my own and creating all these habits, and I couldn't believe how easy it was. In 2011, I started teaching it to other people. And 
I couldn't believe how many people signed up. So I was teaching two to 300 people a week personally through email. And it was taking a ton of my time, but it was helping people. And it made me happy and it made them happy. So I kept going. About four months in, I got an email back from a woman who said, and this was on Wednesday, so day three of a five-day program. She wrote me back an email to BJ. I now see I've endured a lifetime of self trash talk. And I read that and I just, it sent me back. Um, Cause Jan and Laura, the people I was surrounded with at the time at Stanford and so on, they're not people that I thought, you know, were bad mouthing themselves all the time. Yeah. And so, but what, what that email did was it helped me then as I worked with the hundreds and then eventually thousands of people, well, well over 40,000 to recognize how pervasive this is. Mm-hmm. And people, I don't want to stereotype, but when I've shared this with women, they look at me and go, wow, BJ, you're so dense. That's our life. How did you not know this? And it's like, I didn't know that. I mean, how am I going to know that? But what she did for me in that moment with that email was made me understand that this little quirky thing I call tiny habits needed to be more than a research project, mm-hmm. but I needed to bring this out in a bigger way because this is where Everyday people are at. They badmap themselves. They tell trash talk. And I really want to help change that. Tell us about the Maui habit, which, which is sort of goes along your lines about trying to change, you know, an attitude. Yes. Well, you know, in the tiny habits, there's only one habit I prescribe. Okay. I, it's not like I give you here are the 10 habits to do this or the 20 habits to do that. I give you a method to create any habit you want, any habit. But there is one that I call the Maui habit that I suggest for everybody. And it goes like this. After I put my feet on the floor in the morning, like when you're waking up, after I put my feet on the floor in the morning, I will say, it's going to be a great day. You say those seven words. And there's a history behind it, and I've given a TED Talk on it, so I won't go into that. But as it turns out, the thousands of people who have adopted that, who start the morning by saying this positive statement, it has a really big impact on them. Mm-hmm. Now, we all have those mornings. I have those mornings where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to face a terribly hard day, and I might totally fail. I still say it, Jan and Laura. I still say it, but I might say, it like, it's going to be a great day somehow. Like, <laughs> I know that's it. But, but it helps because then at least you're, you're, at least you're cracking the door open to the possibility of having a great day. Mm-hmm. How important is it that we get support from other people? And I'm I'm thinking about this. Say somebody is talking about wanting to drink less as a resolution. Yeah. And they have friends who want to go out all the time. And they like these people, but they don't want to go out and drink with them. Is it important that we have friends that support yeah. us? Or can we kind of just try and make this change on our own oh. and hope our friends go along with it? Oh, let me give you two answers. It, it is important, but let me give you two answers to that. One is, one thing about tiny habits that people have told me, I didn't have to do this myself, but you know, I've shared it with so many people over the years, is because they're making such tiny, subtle changes that their friends don't sabotage them. Okay? Because sometimes, this is really sad, but it happens. Sometimes when people try to change, their friends or their spouses or somebody in their life actually sabotages them and sets them back. 
when you're tiny, you can kind of sneak it in. So ah. you can start changing without making a big announcement, without announcing it on Facebook, without making a big scene in your home. You can do it tiny. So tiny is safe in that way. So that's answer one. Answer two is for certain kinds of change that it's so important to change together. And in Tiny Habits, I have a chapter on exactly this, change together. There was a year, about five years ago, in my Stanford lab where that was the theme of our research the entire year. I felt it was so important to help people understand how to change together. That's what we focused on. The thing that doesn't work, as you know, is let's say uh, a person, let's say a busy mom's trying to eat differently. She's trying to change how she eats, but her husband doesn't want to change and her kids aren't on board with it. Let's say they're teenage kids. That makes it a little easier to talk about. And so they want, you know, one kind of dinner and she's eating a whole different thing where they're not aligning how they're eating. That's really hard to sustain. So for certain, in certain domains, and I've listed these elsewhere, Changing as a household, changing together is really important. So that would be how mm-hmm. you eat, how you consume media, how you manage your stress, and how you sleep, and a few others. But in those domains, if you're trying to change, it's really important to get your household on board if you can. I know you can't always do that, but if you can, like imagine this busy mom deciding she's eating differently and her husband and her teenage kids go along with it. She's going to be way more successful along the way. BJ, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about habits that you learned, you know, through this process that uh, of, of research that you really would like to pass on to others? Oh, my gosh. So many things. I'll share this. Um, nobody told me that you should think of your of habits like a garden. So say you have an acre garden mm-hmm. and you have flowers and you have plants and you have trees and they, they're, they're varied and they're different. And each one's a different habit. Now you can neglect the garden and let weeds grow or you can design for what you want in the garden. And so nobody told me that habits are very much like plants and the collection is like a garden. And that also means there'll be certain habits that no longer serve their purpose or run their lifespan, and that's okay. Just mm-hmm. like a, a flower has served or you're tired of this certain plant, that's fine. Remove it and put something else in its place. So habits are these um, things that you can design for and create and find the right place in your life and evolve it over time as your needs and wants change. So it's this evolving, growing, dynamic thing. And BJ, how can people connect with you and learn more about the new book and Tiny Habits? You have a great website for it. Yeah. So, yes, the book's out, and it's out, you know, in the booksellers near you, including Costco. You can get it online. That's great resource. Tinyhabits.com is a way to sign up for the free five-day program and also learn more about the book and meet some of the coaches I've trained. And then BJFog.com is my broader work. Uh, that includes Stanford and other things. All right. Well, BJ, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure, and we've learned so much. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Laura. Our thanks to BJ Fogg, author of the new book, 
Tiny Habits, the Small Changes that Change Everything. And again, you can find more information at bjfog.com and at tinyhabits.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 